was to Iceland, yeah. Any Icelanders in today? Good, because I'm going to do some pronunciation. Um, so it's a beautiful country, northern lights, waterfalls, volcanoes, geysers, and a lot of Americans. Uh, also hot springs. So on the south of Iceland, you'll find Reykjadolur, yeah, which literally means steam valley. The area is part of a nearby volcano, and as a result, the water in the river in the valley is geothermally heated. So the locals actually use that water to heat their houses and their greenhouses. We went for a walk there on a cold rainy day, and there was loads of people there. There were folks just like us who had their waterproofs on and were only there for a hike. Touch the water, ah, that's fun, nice and warm. On you go, yeah, that's it. But then there was two types of people actually in the warm water of the river. You had people who were all in, swimming costume on, full submersion, nice and cozy, loving life. But the last group were completely miserable. These were folks with only their shoes off, toes dipped in, but otherwise jeans, waterproofs, shivering away. Ah, oh, this is fun, isn't it? <laughs> you see, there really were only two options with the hot springs in Reykjadolur. That's the last time I have to pronounce that. In or out. Trying to do a bit of both just didn't work. So, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been calling Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. As Jesus starts out, he takes his new disciples up a mountain for an away day, and he gives them this vision for the kingdom that he's forming by renewing his followers from inside out. This vision was radical. The religious people at the time didn't necessarily think that they needed a new blueprint. They were doing pretty good, right? But Jesus comes and he says to these religious folks who think they're sorted, here is how you should be living. You don't need a new blueprint unless you're building something new. You don't need a transformed heart if your heart's already, by default, fine. And you only need a revolution if something needs to change. And this blueprint, blueprint was radical, a way of living so radically different that when people see how you're living, just by seeing that, they'll praise God. A kingdom formed of people who aren't good people, but who long to be made right. An end to the outside-in, tick-box approach to religion. Not murdered anyone, tick. Not had an affair, tick. Fine, but how's your heart? Ever been angry? Ever eyed someone up? How you live in the kingdom is not about tick-box rule-following, it's about your heart. And in the last few weeks, Jesus has been focusing on what are you actually living for? See your charitable giving, your praying, your fasting. Stop using these to get the attention and praise of others. Stop it. Live for the attention and praise of God. And now, as Jesus moves on, he tells his disciples, sure, don't live for the praise of others, but also stop living for money and possessions. Live for God. You can't live for God and money. So, who's it going to be? As we read the passage, let's all of us consider, are we sticking to Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts? Alex is going to come 
Come on up, Alex, and read for us this morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 16. Matthew 6, verse 16. Big 6, little 19. 19. 619. And that's on page 971 of the Church Bibles. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one you love and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thanks, Alex. Pretty challenging stuff, yeah? Stop living for money and stuff. So as we consider this, we're going to do a quick health check. Come on, I'm a GP. Bear with me. So did you notice the three parts of the health check? The Bible um, or the NIV that we've got there, it breaks it down into three little paragraphs, and we're going to go with that. So you've got heart, eyes, and hands. Yeah? Heart, eyes, hands. So, first up, heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, if you want to know where someone's heart is, what they care most about, who they are, in essence, look at the things they treasure. Makes sense, doesn't it? So what do you treasure? What is it that you long for? Jesus says you can either treasure things on earth or things in heaven. But that's a choice. Now, we know the right answer, don't we? That's not the hard bit. I'm sure every believer here knows they're meant to make the things of God their treasure, not material things. We get that. The question is, what are you actually doing? As 21st century Westerners, we live in one of, if not the most, material, materialist societies of all time. Advertising which boomed in the 1960s, has progressed to the point that as individuals, we're always being sold something often directly aimed at us now. And the fundamental message of any advert is, look at this shiny thing, look how much better your life would be with it, look how much you want it. And then we're like, ooh, look at the clothes my friend's wearing in that post. Look at the beauty product that that influencer is talking about. Look at the watch that James Bond is wearing, and his favorite brand of suit, and his favorite brand of shoes, razor, cigarettes, car, phone, laptop, whiskey, lager, champagne, and soft drink, which by the way is 7-Up, apparently. Um, whether we like it or not, and whether we're aware of it or not, we're under constant pressure to want stuff to long after to buy and to store up earthly material treasures. We can't just blame the advert guys or the media or our culture, though. We've got to be honest here and say that as humans, our often twisted hearts sometimes just long to pile up earthly things for ourselves. 
I look at my preschool age boys, who are lovely boys, and I look at them playing together, and what do they do? They try and pile up all the toys beside them so that they're theirs and theirs alone. My precious. So how do we break this habit? Jesus says, remember how temporary so much of this stuff is. Now, what do these things that are about to come up behind me, what do these things have in common? They're all things that my sisters or I longed for in the 90s as we were growing up. Oh, we got Tamagotchi, yo-yos, Discman. Ooh, Discman. Despite how much we thought we wanted them, none of these things lasted, and we were soon on to the next thing. Jesus says the problem with earthly treasures is they don't last. Moths will eat your clothes, rust will eat your car, currently eating mine, and thieves will try to nick the stuff in good condition. Anything left that's still with you by the end of your life, you can't take with you. See, Jesus tells the story of a rich farmer whose fields happen to produce a lot of crops. When he sees how much he's producing, yes, his first thought is not about how, how to give all that stuff away and how to help others, but it's how to store it up for himself more efficiently. So he decides to bigger, build a bigger storehouse so he can have even more for himself. But then God says to him that night, you fool, you're going to die tonight. Then who's going to get your stuff? What was the point in all of that? It's futile. So what then? Start storing up treasures not in earth but in heaven, things that will last. Now, this isn't just a matter of delayed gratification. It's not a case of don't have this stuff here on earth. Wait, and you'll get the same stuff, maybe even a bit better, in heaven, but forever. Ooh, a gold-plated discman that never runs out of batteries. I can listen to delirious on repeat forever. Ace. No, the treasures that God has for you in heaven are of a completely different kind. When I was uh, reading for this uh, talk, I was trying to find out, right, what, what does the Bible say are the treasures in heaven? Actually, it doesn't make it very clear, to be honest. Um, Charles Price is a Bible teacher, and he says that he, he once heard that treasures in heaven might be a greater appreciation of Christ. I love that. Bear with me here. So just in the same way that two people may listen to the same piece of music, exactly the same thing, and get a completely different level of appreciation, the one who appreciates less isn't necessarily aware. Sure, that, that's great. Um, but the other may be lost in wonder, finding so much deeper pleasure and meaning. Is that what treasures in heaven may mean? How you live your life now can go about storing up that treasure. How can we do that? Well, for one, you can put into practice the other things in the Sermon on the Mount and live for the things of God. You can go in the opposite direction of storing up earthly treasures for yourself and share your stuff or give some of it away even. Jesus' followers did actually put that blueprint into action, by the way. In the book of Acts, set a few years later, we read this beautiful description of how they were living. Let's bring that up. The whole congregation of believers was united as one. 
one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of Master Jesus, and grace was on all of them. And so it turned out, not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it according to everyone's need. Isn't that a beautiful picture of people looking out for each other and using what they've been given to bless each other? I think the passage also illustrates that Jesus isn't saying that money and possessions are necessarily bad. The physical world isn't bad in itself. God made it, said it was good. I think it's much more about who your money belongs to and what it's for. If you're a Christian today, how much of your money is yours and how much of it is God's? Is a tenth God's? No, no, actually, it's all God's. So treat your money in light of that. Just like your possessions, all God's, your time, all God's, your energy, all God's. Let's live our lives with open hands, grateful to receive, ready to give. I remember that at the end of medical school, so many of my friends were daydreaming about what they would buy with their first doctor paycheck. Some, brought, some bought iPods. This was 2007. Um, others bought a laptop or a car or a plasma screen TV. My friend Dave really caught me out. He told me that he couldn't wait to start earning because then he'd be able to give more to people who need it. What a privilege, what an opportunity to be given money as a gift from God to use to bless others. Right, you ready for the second bit of our health check? We've done heart, now eyes. So Jesus says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is a bit of the passage today that I think is the least obvious first up. To be honest, I had no idea what it was meaning to begin with. Uh, so let's break it down. Eyes let light into the body. Yeah, we get that, okay? Like a window in a house, yeah? So what's all this about healthy and unhealthy eyes? Let's have a look at the NIV Bibles we've got here. Open them if you've got them. Have a look at the little, I think it's is it a little B and a C that's there around verse 21-ish. 22? You got that? Is it a B, C, or is it a C and a D? C and a D. Yeah. And uh, that bit in the verse points down to footnotes at the bottom. You see them? Yeah. So the translators of the NIV version are suggesting that healthy could mean generous and unhealthy could mean stingy. That sort of makes sense on a surface level with the surrounding passages because Jesus is talking about materialism. Right? So be generous, not stingy. Yeah, right, we get that. But there is another interpretation out there that some other commentators prefer, and I actually really like. One of the meanings of the word used for healthy is actually undivided or single. I think that makes a bit less sense on the surface, but bear with me. Undivided, single. So if you think about it, when you go for an eye check, one of the things that your optician, shout out to opticians, uh, will check is the ability of your eyes to focus singularly on something. 
give a sharp picture. We've got that Snellen chart there. So what is Jesus getting at here? If your eyes are undivided, focused only on God, the single true source of light, then you yourself will be filled with light. I love how Jesus says that in our passage. If you have focused eyes, you'll be full of light. The original word used here says literally, you'll glow. As the light comes in, you're filled with light, and in turn, you'll glow. It's cool, eh? But there's a warning too. If your eyes are unhealthy, divided, unable to focus between God and material stuff, then that same light will not fill you to the same degree. What are the other things that our eyes are tempted to focus on? Do we get so swept up in scrolling down, looking at the stuff we want, that we forget about God? The last thing that Jesus mentions here is a really scary thing. Is the light that you're focusing on so faint that it's not actually, truth be told, really light at all? You think it is, but you're actually in the dark. Jesus said, if that's the case, it's a double darkness inside of you. There's a rare medical condition called Anton syndrome. Um, the sort of rare condition that medical students love that features on a house episode and no one ever actually gets. Okay. But very rare condition, and it can happen after a stroke. The part of the brain that controls eyesight is damaged, but the person is unaware of this. And they'll insist, even despite evidence to the contrary, that they can see. They can't see, but they think they can. How sad and how dangerous that is. Let's take a second in this health check to see how our eyes are. In our day-to-day -day life, are we regularly focusing on Jesus? Or are our eyes darting to other things all the time? Ooh, Discman. Ooh, Minidisc. Ooh, iPhone 2. Mm. Last part of our health check now, hands. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So who are you serving? When Jesus is speaking here, he's talking not about employees, but essentially about slaves. Someone who's in full-time, whole life service to one master. So see how Jesus makes it clear that when it comes to serving God or money, this is a case of A or B. For the scousers here, or the football, football folks, bimbo, you're either a Liverpool fan or you're an Everton fan. You cannot support both. It's one or the other, yeah? Yeah? You'll be devoted to falling after one, looking down on the other, to the point where your love for one will make it look like hate for the other, right? It's not like the international meal. By the way, can I just say, I'm going to come out of uh, out my script here. I asked Twinkle for a picture of the international meal, and she gave us this one. <laughs> Come on! Uh, anyway, right, back to the script. It's not like the international meal when there are so many tasty treats that you can't decide and you have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. No, here, with God or money, you have to fill your plate up with one thing only. The reason why you can't do a bit of both is that these masters make opposite commands. So God says... My child, give me your heart. Money says, no, give it to me. God says, be content with what you have. Money says, 
get whatever you can. God says, life's about more than possessions. Money says, he who dies with the most stuff wins. God says, don't cheat, don't lie, be honest in all you do. Money says, gee, even your parents if it suits you. God says, be charitable. Money says, hold on to your own money. You never know when you might need it. God says, rest on the Sabbath day. Money says, make that day pay like any other. God says, trust me to provide. Money says, you're rich. Why do you need God? Who is God? You can't serve both. If God is calling you this way, and wealth is calling you that way, it can't work. Even one step in this direction is a step further away from here. It's one or the other. Is money a good master? No, because the more we have, the more we want. So you get put on this never-ending treadmill, right? I remember starting work as a GP and speaking to a senior doctor. I was really sad. He was making a lot of money, had a large, luxurious house. I remember being so surprised about how stressed he was. Every decision he made in the practice, so should we take another doctor on, should we offer this service, whatever it was, was about maintaining a high income for himself so that he could pay his mortgage bills and support his lifestyle. He was a slave to money of his own choosing. Money promises a lot, but turns out to be a terrible master. God, on the other hand, made you, knows you, loves you, and wants what's best for you. And he can do this for you. But you need to do what he says and trust him. See that word in there? Uh, devotion. It means to be stuck onto like a limpet. And here we go again. To pay close attention to. You've got to listen to what your master's telling you to do. What your master's telling you to spend money on and to buy. If you're a Christian here today, let's be honest, are you still in the habit, day to day, minute by minute, of listening to God? Because Jesus has already made it clear that a relationship with God doesn't consist of only rule following and box ticking. You know, um, one, one talk I heard uh, as a teenager that stuck with me said, um, uh, I think the question was, can Christians buy a BMW? And I loved that as a teenager because the guy was saying, no, they can't. But reflecting on it for this passage, I realized that's just, that's just, if you're taking that interpretation, that is just another form of rule following, box ticking, getting your rules here. This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying about your heart and about who you're actually following. It's about sticking close to your master so that you can trust and obey. He's the best master, so let's follow him. Well, look, that's our health check. How is your heart? Is it treasuring things in heaven or stuff on earth? How are your eyes? Are they focused on God? Who are your hands serving? God or money? Treasure heavenly things. Fix your eyes on God and serve him alone. Easy to say, harder to do, right? Folks, I hope that you agree that this is a hard teaching. 
The hardest teachings of Jesus aren't the ones where the meaning is super complicated. I think the hardest teachings of Jesus, like this one, are the ones where the meaning is plain to see and it's staring you in the face, daring you to act. So, what do you need to change here? What transformation is needed in you for the kingdom of transformed hearts? Number one, a gentle warning. Is the main thing that's crossed your mind here some sort of judgy thought about someone else? If so, stop it. Jesus is speaking to each of us and wants us to do business with him directly. I think there's no coincidence that the very next thing that he says after trust God in the passage we'll read next week is don't judge. It's right there. It's the next thing, literally the next thing. Don't judge. We can be so judgmental about others, especially when it comes to money. So let's take the plank out of our own eyes first. Number two, do you like stuff too much? Have you got into the habit of retail therapy? I think I started to a few years back. I might have been feeling a bit stressed, so I'd go on Amazon and buy something. I never felt better from doing that, but our postman was certainly busy. Um, we've since deleted our Amazon app. Sorry, Matt. Um, and, and apps like that, other apps are available, that make it too easy to just buy things. And honestly, I've felt so much more free since then. Another tip, declutter your house. It's getting trendy, isn't it, decluttering? But it's good to get rid of some of your stuff. You'll soon realize how much more you need, how much more you, than you need that you have. And in the process of doing it, it might make you feel a bit sick when it comes to whether you need to buy that thing or not. Oh, actually, no. Is your problem not that you love stuff too much, but that you, you want to love God more? Or you want to hear him more? That's okay. That's okay. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hey. Spend time with him. Read your Bible. Pray. Have quality chats with other Christians. The hardest thing about that, just like I was saying before, is just like how obvious that is and how many times you've wanted to do that and, and just not done it. It's never been easy to put these things into practice. If you need help with any of these things, ask a Christian friend or someone here on the team. But what I would say, what I beg is do it. Don't keep it on your to-do list. Number four, last one. Are you just a bit scared? Giving's all well and good, but you've got bills and responsibilities. How would, how would that work? Again, it's okay. The very next chunk that Jesus says in this sermon is to you. <laughs> and it's all about trusting God. He, he'll provide. If you're feeling unsure and scared, well, that's actually good. Because you're in the zone where you can step out in faith and trust God. Sometimes our faith just needs to grow bit by bit as we take small steps forward. Maybe what you need this week is to just take a first small step, even a stepping stone towards something big. How about choosing to let something material go, to give some, some of your stuff away this week? Not your house, but, but something. 
How about picking out in your mind something just now, committing yourself to act if God has stirred your heart today? Maybe it's just a couple of pounds that you could give towards someone else's need. Maybe it's something you have that someone else needs more than you. Is there a step that you could take today? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the good things here on earth. Help us to enjoy them and to share them, not pile them up for ourselves. Help us to always remember that the treasures in heaven are far greater. Keep our eyes set on heaven, uh, our hearts set on heaven, our eyes fixed on you, and our hands open, grateful to receive and ready to give. Amen.